Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. What up, people? Happy Valentine's Day for those who celebrate. I don't even know what that means, but I figured I'd say it. Guy Adami here, Dan Nathan there. It is February the 14th. This is Market Call. Today's Market Call, Dan, brought to you by CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. And of course, our data provider is FactSet. Dig them. I'm just going to say, Butters, uh, how are you? By the way, before you even answer that question, because I have to, I'm, I'm far too loud apparently, but great Nick win last night at yeah. Madison Square Garden, uh, beat the Nets, understanding the Nets are not the same team they were, A but they ago. haven't beaten the Nets at the Garden in quite some time. So you, what, what we call this, Dan, exorcising some demons. Back you to know you. What, I, I was at a game. I was at the Knicks Nets game last season where the the the, Net, the Knicks had like a 25 point yes. lead. Do you remember that? Yes. I do. And, and and Durant wasn't even playing because I was sitting behind the Nets bench. I was a few rows back and Durant had this like red beanie on like he was mm. just in street clothes and they came back and won. It was yeah, absolute... I think Kyrie had a big game, if I'm not mistaken. As my people would say, guy, it was a shandala. Um, I think yeah. that word was used in the garden that night a few times. And, and, and by the way. Um, are you celebrating uh, Valentine's Day? Doing anything for Linda? Anything special? No, what listen, you, yes. I, I actually, so not that anybody cares. I care. But I, I went yesterday to a florist that I go to from time to time, and I picked up a few different things of flowers to have them, you know, a day ahead of time. And, yeah. you know, gave one to my daughter, one to my wife, and then wow. I gave another one to my wife earlier this wait, wait, morning. Just a flower? Or did you give like a... a, a like, no, I would a, say I would call them bouquets, okay. if I may. I, I have not done a thing for my people, and I do live uh, in a household with three women. Um, and so, uh, well, two of them are gone at school, but you know, you know, you know. Well, the I understand. Should we should we move on here, guy? Because why I, not? I mean, I we've better, taken better, a few minutes of pull, everyone's time. I better pull a rabbit out of a hat, is what you're saying this afternoon, this evening here, a little bit. Um, well, the market's pulling a rabbit out of the hat as we speak. The Nasdaq, as I'm looking, is just gone positive. I'm not quite sure what just happened. The S and P is about to be unchanged. And this has been one of those days, Dan, where you know in the pre-market, the market was effectively unched. Maybe it was up slightly. Yeah. The CPI number comes out. The knee-jerk was to take it lower. I turn around. Five minutes later, I think the Dow was indicated 280 or so points higher, only to give that back. 
subsequent rally. Then we saw a pretty marked sell-off. And now here we are trying to rally back to sort of unched in some of the indices. So I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's the dog looking one way, the other. Yeah. And what do you want from me? Yeah. If you grew a beard, you look like that guy. Like you look like our friend. You look like our friend. All right. So these headlines, I think, are kind of funny, right? So inflation stays elevated, adding pressure for more uh, Fed hikes. Inflation eases to six point four percent, but pace of moderation slows. Inflation rose 05 percent in January, more than expected. I mean, that's about as clear as mud, guy. You put all those together there, um, you know, and and there's no clear picture, which is one of the reasons why we're just gonna have to go to the Twitter here, and 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 you know, we're gonna look at your main man. CQ, because this is what he does, just kind of breaking the stuff down here. And I think this one is is this comment, I think, is a is a is a good one here, guy. And so um, you know, first things first, we just gotta sorry, I'm just kind of getting up to speed here. This is from Apollo. Overall financial conditions Mm -hmm. are now as easy as they were before the Fed started raising interest rates. In other words, it looks like more Fed hikes are needed to get inflation all the way back to the Fed's two percent inflation target. You've been saying this. Nostradami, you've been saying this, okay? And it's funny because even with those sorts of headlines from a venerable Wall Street firm like the Apollo, uh, no, yeah. not the Apollo, just Apollo, and 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 equity investors don't care. And we're going to talk about some of the other risk assets that appear to care, but it seems like there's this growing battle between what the bond market is saying and what the stock market is saying. And I just don't know how, Guy, the stock market wins. Yeah, listen, again, we play this game on Fast Money. We do it here from time to time. If you had told me the following and then you had told me what the CPI number is going to be and all the related numbers within the CPI and then said, okay, where's the S&P going to be at 1 p.m. Eastern time? And I said, the S&P is down 60 to 75 handles, which means the Dow is probably down 400. NASDAQ is probably down 2% or so. The VIX is probably north of 22 by the way, none of those things have happened, at least yet. So sometimes having a little information can be dangerous thing as well. I'm not quite sure what the equity market is looking at. And I mean that sincerely. I have no idea. And in terms of financial conditions, and we have talked about it to your point, they're as loose as they have been uh, since the fall, I guess, of 2021, I would imagine, yep. right? Yep. Before yep. the rate hike started. And so I, I don't really understand you know, when Jerome Powell talks about financial conditions of Titan, I don't know what he's looking at necessarily. Interest rates are higher, I guess, if that's the one metric, but everything else is a lot looser. So I don't know. And as I've been saying for a while, and we were talking about this seemingly a year, if not more ago, peak inflation, yes. And we said it back last summer in June, but we also said it's going to be two other PEs and that would be pesky and persistent. And I got to tell you something. A lot of people have embraced that theme. So I don't know what's going on in the equity market today. I mean that sincerely, but I do know what's going on in terms of inflation, and it ain't going away anytime soon. Yeah, and our friend Peter Bookvar over there at the Book Report, he had a comment um, on his uh, newsletter this morning after the CPI print. He said, as for the Fed, they will do as they said over the past few weeks, hike two more times, and then keep the Fed funds rate above 5% all year. The terminal rate ticked up. Three basis points in response to the data to 5.22%. Uh, percent. We are higher. Uh, we are in a higher interest rate environment for longer. And I don't think there are many have accepted this new reality and the economic and market implications. Big picture, this is a good thing versus the monetary fantasy land. We live for many years, but there's always a withdrawal period that will take time to get through. You've Ooh. made that point, as Peter has, that you're happy 
with the normalization of rates. You think it makes sense, but the fact is that the stock market, the way it's ricocheted this year with the assumption, right, that interest rates are at some point going to go lower in the back half of this year, it just doesn't make any sense this far out to discount that, right? Doesn't make any sense to me. And, you know, again, I don't, I'm not quite sure what the market is looking at. If let's play, we'll play it out. If they're looking at rate cuts in the back of this year, the question one has to ask herself is what if set of circumstances are we living through in order for the Fed to make such a drastic pivot? Because it ain't going to be good. I mean, they're not just going to lower rates just for shits and giggles, as they say. Yeah. Something had to have broken in order for that to happen. So, if you think by some magic wand that's supportive of equities, as you say all the time, Dan, have at it. But the other point that Peter makes, and I want to go back to EY's tweet if we can for a second as well. The point that Peter makes, higher for longer. And we have not been in a higher rate environment in a decade and a half, if not longer than that. I'm not quite sure what people don't know or don't understand or don't remember. A rising interest rate environment, almost by definition, means you pay less in terms of a multiple. You pay less for earnings. And the fact that right now, again, at 4,100 and change, you know, if you, again, if you assume certain things, if you put an 18 multiple on this number, you're talking about $230 worth of earnings, but it ain't even close to that. So, you know, if you think it's only going to be 205, 210, you're talking about a market that once again is approaching north of 20 times. It doesn't, it just doesn't make mathematical sense and it doesn't make any economical sense either. Yeah. So you wanted to look at uh, Liz's, um, mm -hmm. you know, tweet and, you know, yesterday we, we highlighted that uh, article in the wall street journal. I think that was on our, on the tape podcast with Liz that drops on Monday mornings. Guy and I do that every Monday morning. So check that out. We are not just on Fridays with Danny Moses. We do a Monday on the tape. Got all podcast. kinds of stuff. Yeah. So on. smash that subscribe button over there. Don't, at don't on smash it. I mean, there's no reason to, to be violent. But but we were talking about, you know, just kind of these three things that this article was focused on. And shelter is is a big one here, right? And so, um, you know, again, you know, we we, we see things kind of tight on that uh, on that front, you know what I mean? And then the, the jobs market also. So, um, you know, there are some things that um, could stay pesky and persistent and could cause that, that thing to break, as you mentioned there, Guy. Um, I just want to kind of go – to the CME FedWatch tool here because, you know, we just talked about that terminal rate. You see that the um, CME FedWatch tool is pricing a 75% probability or a little more that at the May meeting, we are going to be at five and a quarter at Fed funds here. And again, you know, we're getting to May. That's basically almost to mid-year. So for whatever you think is going to happen in the back half of the year with interest rates um, because of a weakening economy, I think the Fed seems pretty darn content with leaving rates higher, and they keep saying it. Fed Chair Powell said it twice in the last two weeks, but for some reason, equity investors are not yeah. listening. I want to give you one little exercise here, talking about the Oh, value I like exercising. Yeah. It's important for really everybody, important. especially my age. So, guy, after the close today, Airbnb, okay, this is a $77 billion market cap company, is going to report, okay, earnings. And this stock has gone from, it closed at its dead-ass lows in December, okay? It was just above 82 bucks. I think it was 81.91. Right Rally now, significantly. Talking, well, yeah, it's, <laughs> we're at 120, okay, yeah, guy? That's and 50%. Yes. Okay. And it's going into earnings tonight after the close. The options market is implying um, about a 9% move in either direction. All right. And I just want to give some data. This is a tech company that had a massive, massive market cap at its high 
was after it went public, okay? And obviously corrected a whole heck of a lot into its lows last year. So it's up 50%. Here's the deal, man. This company is profitable, so it's not like one of those pieces of junk that's not profitable. Um, it has growing sales, but they've decelerated sort of massively. You can see that chart here. We're getting up to some sort of technical resistance mm -hmm. to bounce off that 200-day moving average. I just want to make this point, all right? So this company is growing earnings, let's call it, I don't know, 11% expected this year, 20% in 2024. It's trading about 40 times earnings. It's trading about eight times sales that are expected to grow 12% this year. This is not a hyper growth company, guy. And after that rally, the stock just had it, it actually looks really expensive. And so if we are about to go into a slower economic period, and let's just say 12% earnings and sales growth for this year are optimistic, Okay, and maybe there's some margin pressure. We see this is a really expensive stock, despite it being profitable. Yeah, and the technicians will look at this to your earlier point and say, you know, we're at levels we stalled at in August and again in mid to late September, sort of that 125-ish level. I think that's where it comes in. And, you know, it stands to reason we do it again. I, I think part of this rally is predicated on the fact that people are looking around and clearly – Travel is back in a meaningful way. There's no question. If you've been to an airport recently, you'll know that travel is back. As a matter of fact, if you listen to these airline execs, you know, they're talking about numbers that we have in pre-COVID numbers, which is pretty remarkable if you think about it. So you have that tailwind. But I think your point is exactly that. Even with that tailwind, first of all, I think this 50% move encaptures some of that, number one. And number two, it comes, you know, at a certain point, valuations do matter. It, it, maybe in a zero interest rate environment, nobody gives a shit. But certainly in a higher interest rate environment, people should care. So I'm with you on this one. You know, and if it goes to, you know, ratcheting up to 140, we'll talk about it tomorrow on Market Call. And I yeah. will say I'm wrong. But if you've been long this stock, um, it's it should stall at the levels we stalled at again, midsummer, early fall, sort of that 125 level. And I think you look for a pullback down to the 200-day moving average. All right, and it's interesting. They can throw up Expedia here. It's going to sure. look the same. It literally has gone from the low 80s to like 115 or so on that chart. But one of the things I think is really interesting, and, and again, they have VRBO. They have, uh, you know, they, they they have bookings for airlines. You and get deodorant and for that, by the way. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> They, they, they do do that great dad joke here. Okay. So it looks really similar. If you look at that, right. I just want to be really clear about this. This company is expected to grow their sales this year, about 11% grow earnings, 38%. Okay. They're going to get back to their peak earnings next year. They're expected to grow 23% trades 12 times this year, 10 times next. 1.3 times sales, 86% gross margin company. I mean, I just think that this exercise, again, we're back to exercise guy, okay? Something that you haven't done since you've run an Ironman 10 years ago, which was truly amazing. I mean, like a full Ironman, people. Google it, Guy Adami, Ironman, New York Times, and you will see, maybe Jacob can bring it up. You will see that our main man ran a full Ironman. It is pretty amazing. So, um, guy, there you go for your exercise. Um, but I, if we were playing Would You Rather, right here, Would You Rather, Expedia, Airbnb? Expedia. I think Expedia, to your point, because I think Expedia did the work to the downside. You know, it's done the back and fill the 200-day moving average. And this is one that I think at least you, you just did, by the way, make a compelling case. Whereas Airbnb, I think, has gotten a little ahead of itself. So much like that Microsoft Google trade, that you put on, and I still think it's going to wind up being correct. You know, if you're looking for a pairs trade, long Expedia, short Airbnb, understanding the risk associated with um, post-market earnings um, 
I think that's a really fun trade. I mean, fun is probably not the right word. I think that's a really interesting trade. Yeah, and, and, and again, I'll just say this. I think you can wait until after the report. You know, we Absolutely. don't try to get too much in front of these sorts Fools of Fools rush in. It was a good movie, I think, like Ryan Reynolds or something. Yeah, I mean, I mean part of it is, it's like, listen, we are in a really irrational market here. And and you just mentioned that Microsoft Google pairs trade. I mean, that thing is not working. It worked for like 24 hours and now it's just kind of killing me here. Um, but I want to go to the S and P futures really quickly guy. And we don't have to spend too much time on this. Um, I have a short dated, um, you know, bearish position mm -hmm. there. I, I thought I was kind of, um, you know, that hotter than expected number. I thought that thing was going to work out. It's not. It's making a little bit of a flag here. We've been talking about a market call from purely a technical standpoint for those who care about it. You know, it's basing, it's making a little bit of a flag above those December highs. Okay. So looking constructive, we we're talking about what does a meaningful technical breakout? We know that there was that very well-defined downtrend that started in January, 2022. Is this it? Is this, is this what you need to do from a technical standpoint, have this little consolidation above that prior high, well above its 200 day moving average. Is that showing some decent, decent breadth in the market? Yeah. To me, well, I mean, for me, not yet, and I'll, and I'll say it here. So if it does happen, you know, we can have the conversation for me, you need to close above the August highs. And I want to say it was 4280 or thereabouts doesn't matter, whatever the hell that is. If you go back and look at August, we traded up to 200 day moving average and failed. I think we all know what happened into October. So you get a close above that. I think we're having an entirely different conversation for a myriad of different reasons, not least of which. If, in fact, we do close above that, something probably changed on the ground, although for the life of me, I can't figure out what that is. So I think we're just sort of stalling here. You know, I, and I'll use the expression. I, I really think at these valuations with the earnings reports we've seen with this CPI report, um, this is sort of whistling past the graveyard. I don't know what the bull and I mean this sincerely. I'm not trying to be dogmatic. And people say all the time, why don't you bring a bull on to debate him or her? I just don't I, I don't understand what the bull case is here. I, and I mean that sincerely. I'm struggling with it. Yeah, let's go to the uh, NASDAQ futures really quickly, because this is one where if I'm trading the E-minis here, guy, I'm looking at that February 2nd high. That high was 12,949. Let's just round that to 12,000. Um, and uh, 950 here. And if I'm shorting these things at 12,601 here, I'm going to put a stop right above that Feb second high, right? So somewhere in and around there, um, I have that exposure on right now. I'd be looking for a move back towards um, at the first stop would be that 200-day moving average down there at 11,950. Mm. 50 um eight or so and again if we're trading the minis i'm moving those stops down if i'm getting them going in my um direction but i'm picking a point just above that high on that february 2nd we know that like a lot of uh you know traders like to kind of search for stops if you will and they're picking technical levels here so that's how i'm thinking that's about right. nasdaq e mini futures here and the future is such a great product, again, being a CME day. But, you know, if you really want to get to sort of the one, the higher level shit, as they say, I mean, if you if you think the market is going lower here and you obviously have voiced that and you have a position on it, um, takes that into consideration. If it were to close below the 200-day moving average, so let's just say 11,900 or so, the aggressive trade is to add to that short position. So a lot of people will add into the strength of their position. I, I say the strength of their position. Obviously, in this case, it's not strength of the market. It would be the weakness of the market. I'm ultimately, and I've said it a number of times, You know, I think 9,800-ish 
in the NASDAQ or in the e-mini NASDAQ makes the most sense. And I don't know if we can sort of zoom out to take a look at why I think that, but that's been the level for a while. And we'll see what, hap- you'll see what happens if and when we get there. But the 200-day moving average is your bogey right now, but a close below it, one would think we accelerate to the downside. And I love this. Brian at 114, Jacob. Brian's got a sense of humor. Guy completed an Ironman in his 60s. Genuinely <laughs> impressed. That's really effing funny, Brian. Well done by you. Back to you, Dan. You were you were in your late 40s, I think, weren't you? I mean, it well, was... so it's 10 years ago. Yeah. It's, it's 10 years ago. Like, yes, late 40s. That's about, well, there. Wow, look uh, at that. Uh, Who did uh, that? That's about as late forties as you can get, which would be forty nine yeah. years old. And and I was uh, I was in awe of you, guy, that you did that. Um, let's just look at the VIX really quickly. Um, you know this thing nineteen ish or so. It's a, a little below where it looks like on this chart here. Here's a puzzling one: is yeah. the VIX today? Yeah. So yeah. bring this sucker up. There it is. Because, yeah. So we have it. So here it is. So again, you know, and I said this earlier, and I apologize for jumping you a little bit here, but. You know, we played the game before. Tell me all the things are going to happen. And then, okay, tell me where things going to be on the back of that. And I would have said, shit, the VIX has got to be like 22 today. And here we are, sub-19. Now, there's got to be reasons why, and I'm sure there are a lot of smart people on this in, in the room right now that can answer it for me, because I have no idea. I'm, I'm not sure why the VIX is getting throttled the way it is. I mean, maybe it's just a function of the catalyst in the form of CPI is over, um, people that were long the VIX into it felt compelled to. Get, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know. But today's not a day where the VIX should be moving as down as as markedly as it is, Dan. That's just my opinion. Well, especially given the volatility we've seen intraday. I mean, at one point, you know, we had the S and P down nearly one percent. I thought I had a good trade on here. I'm going to talk about something I did in Apple too. Um, again, this has kind of been kind of painful. I'm looking at some of these comments. Some of you guys are enjoying the fact that I'm losing money on the short side, and and if you're long and you're making money. That's fantastic. I am happy for you. I would never wish any financial ill will on anybody, but I am trading here and I'm, I reserve the right to change my mind, even on a short-term basis. Um, I'm with you on the VIX, but here's one guy that I think the higher it goes, the higher the VIX should go. This is the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, and you've been calling for a 210 spread of 100 basis points. Well, we're getting to wides, buddy. We were like at 87 basis points. We're at 86 and a half right now on the 210 spread. And this thing, you know, again, um, does it have 4% all over it? I, I don't know. It's not something that I thought was going to happen um, anytime soon on the 10-year. But this is one that I think the higher it goes, that we should see an increase in equity volatility, specifically in the NASDAQ and some of these um, higher valuation names. And some of the names that we know and love, the biggest names, are getting actually kind of expensive, Guy. Yeah. Listen, this 10-year yield, we stopped. We had Carter on yesterday. We talked about it. I'm sort of surprised as well um, how much the yield has bounced. I can understand it to a point. I mean, the CPI report obviously gives some fuel to that fire. But I also thought, somewhat incorrectly, I guess, that if the market were to sell off, which it's not really doing here, um, there'd be a flight to quality in the form of 10-year yields. It's not happening. So, so many, there's so many really strange things. To your earlier point, you know, I've thought for a while that twos, tens would invert to the tune of 1%. I didn't know how it would get there in terms of the math, whether it's three and a half in the 10 year, four and a half in the two year. It doesn't necessarily matter, I don't think. But, you know, now it appears as though if it's going to happen, it might come in the form of 375, 475. Doesn't matter for the sake of this conversation. A yield inversion to the tune of 1% 
would be levels we haven't seen in north of five decades. So I, again, not being an economist and for all the people that say it's different this time, I would agree. It is different this time. It's worse. Back to you. Wow. Oh, by the way, and I wanted somebody just asked a question. What kind of bike did I ride? I think that was William Wallace. I loved you in the movie, by the way, Junior. Um, Orbea, a Spanish-made bike that I borrowed from my friend John Highland. <laughs> if you put up that picture right, real quick, because why not for a second? So that far picture, that dude next to me, um, the shorter guy with the sunglasses and bald head, he is a, a 12-time Ironman now. He is a five-time cancer survivor, wow. um, just, for, just for reference. So I bring that up because... He is proof positive that if you put the mind to something, you can do it. Anyway, back to you, Dan. Great man. And, you know, you ran that Ironman in support of you were on um, the, Leukemia the, Society. New, the New Jersey Leukemia Society board. And they said, hey, let's get a team together uh, to support this thing. And then somebody said, hey, guy, why don't you lead that team yeah. um, actually on the ground? That was a genius idea. Sure. Um, oh, but yeah. You guys raised a lot of money for that. Good, good on you, Guy Adami. Um, all right. Let's move this thing along a little Please. bit here. Um, let's look at your gold. Um, you know, this thing kind of broke this uptrend it was in. You know, Carter was on a few weeks ago, I think, on, on the market call, um, uh, calling for this also on worth charting. And, you know, if it's interesting when you look at that 200-day moving average that is literally flattening out um, a little bit, you know, might we see this thing back in, in the midpoint of this range? And how does it get there, guys? So we see a dollar, if we were to throw up the Dixie up there, dollars rallied a little bit, right? Um, you know, I, is it is it about the dollar here? I know that you've been talking about the fact mm -hmm. that we've seen, um, you know, central banks buying gold. And if we were to see the dollar up there at that 200-day moving average, are we going to see gold, if you want to toggle back, gold back at its 200-day moving average to the downside? Yeah, and... The short answer is it's definitely about the dollar, but it's also about, you know, this higher inflation print puts the Fed back in play to the extent that the gold market didn't think they were in play. So you can understand what's going on here. More hawkish Fed historically has been bearish for gold. That's somewhat counterintuitive. But if you think about it, it makes sense because they're combating the inflation that gold probably is the one you want to use to illustrate a bullish position in vis-a-vis -vis inflation. But I'll say this as well, and you brought it up. Central banks are buying gold in levels we haven't seen literally in decades. They clearly see something going on. It has not manifested itself in the price. I have said that dozens of times. I just think it's a matter of when, not if. And Andrew, I think it's Andrew Juarez. If, I'm, if I, I miss it because it went by. Uh, yes. And he brought the Dan, you could probably speak to this. And I'm glad he brought it up. Uh, just look up how the, I'm, I'm switching back to the VIX quickly. Just look up how the VIX is calculated. It's not mysterious. A VIX of 20 implies an SPY range of one and a quarter percent based on demand for out-of-the-money options. If the option man doesn't justify the higher, oh, well. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's a great point. I mean, maybe maybe the VIX shouldn't even be in the low 20s. Maybe in this environment we should be talking about a teenager. I guess my only point has been that I don't think it fully is taking into consideration some of the headwinds and some of the uh, potential pitfalls that are out there. Anyway, sorry about that, Dan. So back to the gold chart. I, I, I'm going to remain bullish in gold. I understand why people would say, once again, it's failed. It's a loser's play. I totally get it. I just do think that with the central bank buying that we're seeing, with all the things happening out there, Bank of Japan seemingly losing control over both their currency, well, more their bond market than anything else. I think it's just a matter of time before gold gets back on its horse. Anyway, that's it for me.
All right. Something that's on its horse right now is is Tesla. Um, I am short this via the TSLQ. It's trading at forty four seventy two versus a Tesla at two oh three seventy five. Um, I'm down about ten percent on this position. My average is just a little um, below fifty. And, and and you know this this thing hurts a little bit. If you look at the Tesla, I just kind of think it's interesting here. You know, it's kind of at that breakdown level, right from. Uh, from late uh, November, early December. And when it broke 200, it went straight to 100. Now it's ricocheted back here as a V reversal. It's kind of, you know, finding its way in and around what I think is some pretty substantial technical resistance. You see that declining 200 day moving average. Sooner or later, it's going to be down here in this kind of range. I just think it's interesting that a lot of investors are really focused on this March 1st investor day. Elon Musk tweets about it a lot. I don't know why he's tweeted about it multiple times, usually on days the stock um, has been down and there haven't been too many of them. Um, you know, so this is one again. This is this is kind of hurting. It's one position in many. Um, I'm going to have to trade around this a little bit. I'm going to buy it when it's down. I'm going to sell some of it when it's up, and that's just kind of trading around um, a core position. Thoughts here, guy? Am I just being? The, uh, am I the dumbest no, guy? I, in the I don't here? think so. I mean, I think that the moving average is still potentially in play, but I think if it were to get there, you'd probably add to it. The moving average is declining, and it's interesting. I'm, I'm reading some comments. You know, I, I think Alex says it, a. A Tesla long was was pretty obvious trade. And, you know, it's interesting. You know, everything is obvious after the fact. If you want to put up his quote, that's fine. But so here's my pushback. When was it obvious to you? I mean, in September, this was, if you put the chart back up real quick, you know, look at where the stock was in September. So $300 stock. Was it obvious when it was trading 250 a few weeks later? No. Was it obvious when it was trading 225 a few weeks after that? No. Was it obvious when it's trading too? At what point was it an obvious long trade? In retrospect, it was obviously in January, December, January, December of last year, January of this year. But it's only obviously only obvious after the fact. And I will tell you categorically, folks, that when Tesla was trading about 125 or so, Dan was the first person to say, you don't press shorts here. Um, it's a loser's trade. And that proved to be correct. Yeah, it traded down another 18 or so dollars, but that was short-lived. The entry point we can argue with, the thesis I think is sound, and the bear case for Tesla on a number of different things is demand waning, um, clearly competition coming, and evaluation play as well. So there's my well, two cents. Chi- chi- China weakness is the big one for me. I mean, I, I think China is a market where um, I think they're going to get their lunch eaten here, and I think it's only going to get worse with the geopolitical tensions ratcheted up here. And so to me, um, I feel pretty okay with this one. I didn't start shorting it via buying the TSLQ until the stock was above 165. So I've been averaging into that position. I said I was going to do that sooner or later. I'm going to have to cut some of those losses. Um, but again, I, it, listen, you know, here's the other thing about being obvious about this thing as being a long. Let me tell you something. None of these cult members who buy this stock ever sell it, okay? So at any point that you bought the stock prior to its breakdown in early December, you've lost money, okay? So I think it's really interesting. You guys have at it. Have have some fun um, when someone's getting worked on, on a position here. But I trust me, I know a lot more about how you guys trade these things than you guys give us credit for. I've been doing this a long time. And this Tesla thing is a cult like I've never seen. And to me, I do think we're going to retest those lows at some point in the not so uh, distant future at some point in 2023. Um, guy, I want to hit a couple other things really quickly. Um, if you look at the MAGA complex, what was that? The Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, and the Amazon? Mm. I don't trade well today, okay? And maybe that's just a bit of a rotation. I mean, the Google that I bought the other day at 94, traded up to 96, it's trading now below 94. It trades 
god awful. awful. I mean, just really, really horribly here. So this is one where um, I'm either going to have to make a decision to keep adding to it. I don't like a lot of the commentary. I keep hearing about it. I keep reading a lot more about these um, these kind of large language models. I've been kind of focused on this for the last couple months. I found it kind of interesting here. Um, Microsoft's had that huge move, and again, you mentioned that I put a put spread in and Microsoft short dated, and I was buying the Google. Well, the Microsoft really hasn't given up too much at this point but that thing is up you know a whole heck of a lot in a short period of time and i'm just not interested in buying it for the reasons that people are buying it i want to throw up this apple chart though guy and get your take on this one today when the stock was just above 153 i looked at march expiration march 17th expiration i bought the 150 March mm -hmm. puts paid about $3.50 for those. So it's about 2% of the underlying stock price near the money, breaks even down there at 146 and a half. And again, I also think that this is one that is gone too far, too fast. I think the China issues is only going to kind of get worse here. So that's from a manufacturing standpoint. That's from a demand standpoint, from a narrative standpoint. Um, so to me, thoughts on this Apple trade that I put on here, Gay, um, 150 puts in March looking mm -hmm. for a move. Probably back below, I don't know, 140 would be my my target here. Yeah. Well, I think, listen, this is obvious. I think you probably, if I'm, when do they expire? You probably got two and a half March weeks 17. into March, March right? Yep. Yeah. So that, there's my math is right there. I, I think you're onto something because, look, I'll say this as well. I mean, we talked about Apple trading down to 125 for months and it subsequently happened. And it wasn't like it was rallying in our face, it was doing sort of the slow grind lower. It bottomed at exactly 125. We said, if, if you've been waiting, here's your entry point. Now, I am surprised by how quickly we got back into the 150s. No question about it. I thought it would take a lot longer. I did think it would bounce. But I also think the structural problems around what's going on there, and the first time I think ever that Apple had to discount some of their phones in China, <clears throat> excuse me, something to think about. And this whole US-China thing is not going to get better anytime soon. Yeah. And one has to wonder, are companies like Apple, McDonald's, Starbucks in the crosshairs of the government of China? And at some point, what does that look like? That's a bit of an existential risk. It's probably less than a 20% chance of that happening. But if, in fact, it does happen, you know, this stock gets right back down to those levels. Beside the fact that the fundamentals here at these levels don't really make a lot of sense either. Yeah, I'll just say this is that, you know, the TikTok thing is out there. It's low hanging fruit for for our government to do that. There's a growing sort of demand to do it. And I just think the tit for tat, when you think about the fact that our digital companies are not in China, what are in China, the companies that rely on manufacturing in China. And we've already said we are reshoring a lot of those jobs, at least as it relates to Apple and the manufacturing of their smartphones. OK, Tesla, you know, needs to manufacture it over there from a cost perspective but they also need the demand and it's like 40 percent of their sales so to me i think that's an easy one if the chinese feel like you know hundreds of thousands of manufacturing jobs are going to vietnam or going to brazil or going to mexico to do a bunch of this manufacturing then what do they care at, at some point they don't want their their citizens buying iphones when they could buy oh you know something made from huawei or, or, or one of their local manufacturers and, and the other thing is Tesla's market share in EVs is less than 10% there, man. So, you know, again, I, I just think that this is coming to a theater near you. All right, guy, we covered a lot of ground here on a Tuesday, just me and you. You said you're going to Mexico. And I would say, you know, we're going to California with an aching in our heart for you. Leds up on fans out there. Great song. I believe that's off the fourth album, if I'm not mistaken, which, of course, would be Leds up on four. Thank you, Dan. Um, that's it for Market Call. 
I'm jonesing for my Ranger hockey, which will not be back till tomorrow night, I believe, in Vancouver. Uh, Rangers have been playing solid hockey. I like this Nick team. Um, they'll figure out the rotation, Dan, as you know. But, you know, you got to be playing well as you reach, as you get towards the All-Star break into the playoffs. The Knicks seem to be doing that. I love Brunson. I tell you what, I did not think he was going to be the player that he's turned out to be for the Knicks. Kudos to him. Kudos to our audience. A big thank you to CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity. Obviously, thank you to FactSet, our data provider. We'll be back tomorrow. At least I will be back tomorrow with the great Carter Braxton Worth. Dan's taking a well-deserved day off. See you tomorrow, peeps. See you guys. Thanks.